0: Listening to the Bag of Pucks podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. So, Jeffrey, I'm going to reveal a little bit about ourselves to our listeners, okay?
1: Ooh, is this uh, YouTube? Well, it's not YouTube, I guess. It's like one of those reveal, like face reveal things.
0: Or? No, no. But I'm going to reveal two things. The one thing about us. So, we're both graduates of post secondary. Education, right? Yes, sure. And I would say we both have a little, a little pride of where we went to school. We we're proud of where we went to school. It's not like, you know, it's not like we're ashamed of where we went, right?
1: Um, yeah. Like I think we would both say like if someone asked where we went, we wouldn't be like, oh, I went to this place. For my like, study. my point is, like,
0: my point is, if we went to, like, a diploma mill, if it was like, hey, where's the school? And you're just like, the internet. <laughs> no, we'd be like, yeah, we went to a reputable place and we're kind of proud of where we went to, right?
1: Well, I can't, okay, you can't say, like, online schooling is also very important. Oh, no, online, online school.
0: schooling is fine. But I'm saying, like, if I would do a, an internet mill, like, a diploma mill, sorry, where it's just like, here's $5,000 and what? I have a PhD, but I didn't finish my undergrad. That's okay.
1: Okay, fine. Yeah. Okay, those ones are a little bit more shady.
0: Yeah, going with the other aspect, but we're we'll probably went too. And one of the things I guess we're also, I think the listeners may know if they are OG listeners, um, is that we are both Canadian and went to Canadian schools, right?
1: Are, are we Canadian?
0: All right, I'm just going to burst the bubble. Yes, we're both Canadian. So basically my point going with here is like hockey in Canadian universities is generally not as strong and not as high level than American college hockey. Is that a correct assumption to make as a whole? I think the top level youth sports players are not as good as the top level college hockey NCAA Division I hockey players,
1: correct? You could probably even argue that U-Sports... So U-Sports is what we call Canadian NCAA. I would say like U-Sports is maybe even a tier below CHL, even junior hockey.
0: Okay, so my point going with here is it seems like Moto of the Ostfenskij of the second tier Swedish League just signed a guy out of U-Sports. Um... What's his name? Mikael Agar, Danish player, who has a little bit of experience in the AHL and ECHL. Um, Then decides, you know what, screw it. I've decided that, you know, playing in the CHL, I get the scholarship, and I'm just going to take the scholarship and figure out what my path goes from there. I guess my question for you is, with a player going from the U Sports League to Swedish Hockey, There's two real questions here, I guess. First one, does that mean that there are large European clubs? Because Moto is a pretty pretty large Swedish club, scouting youth sports, A. And B, does that mean that the reputation of youth sports is going up and we can see more players going from youth sports to large professional leagues instead of youth sports players going to you know smaller?
1: leaks um well like you mentioned like there is Modo now in the second tier of swedish leagues? Is, not part it of is in the same
0: tier that's
1: correct so i know last time we talked a lot about you know khl shl what's better right like we talked about that before like would you consider the shl like the Alo, oh no, know i to pronounce it. The second tier of the Swedish hockey league, would you consider that maybe potentially not as highly successful, right, as those other European leagues? Okay, so in
0: my books, the second tier Swedish league is still is hot is much better than second tier KHL. Um there's an argument to be made that KHL is still better than the Swedish Hockey League. That that's I'm okay with making that argument. But Second-tier Swedish hockey is way better than second-tier Russian hockey. Uh, that's my argument. I think when you look at a team like what Ostankino uh, is do right now, they are kind of middle in the pack in in second-tier hockey. Like it's not they're not great, but they're not terrible either. Mm-hmm. So, like you're not looking at like a team that's close to dropping to the third tier, right? Like no, 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 it's not it's not that, right? It's not like a terrible team. So it's not. I'm not concerned about that.
1: Yeah, I think maybe for me, I don't know if they're necessarily scouting youth sports, but I think there is definitely something with the fact that Agar is a. He, he's, he's Danish, right? Yeah. So there's a little bit more of a. Maybe he was previously scouted, maybe he previously played in the Swedish elite in the junior system in Sweden or Denmark. So maybe they always had their eyes on him before he moved um over to you said the AHL, ECHL and then into U Sports, right? So I have to wonder maybe is there some relation there? Maybe there's a relation previously before he went over to U Sports that they're looking at him then and now they're just signing him because now he's wanting to go back to Europe.
0: But here's the thing, though. Okay, so at the end of the conclusion of the season, there were, Moto was third, okay? Mm -hmm. Um, And at least two teams are promoted um, each year. So Moto this year will not be promoted. Okay. But being third, you have to be assuming that they're going to be trying to get a promotion next year, right?
1: Yeah, that would make sense. Yeah. So, like, this is
0: this is basically a team that is basically SHL level, right? Like, when you look at, like, uh,
1: promotional locations. I'd yeah, say, somewhere within the...
0: Yeah, they might not be the top of the SHL, but I'd say it's, like, basically SHL level. So, this isn't just some player who is, you know... It's one thing to be saying, hey, I'm a fifth-tier player in Sweden versus basically a first-tier player. That makes sense. You you're going with
1: this? Yeah, yeah, that makes sense.
0: So, what I'm asking is, could you see more of these guys going from u sports to larger leagues? Maybe like a couple more Czech leagues, Um, maybe Liga, you know, Finland. Um,
1: I don't. Maybe. Uh, I think it's going to be if they can't. I think it's for like international, like for European players who are playing in the youth sports leagues, you might see that more often. But I don't think it's gonna be as common with like, say, Canadian or American prospects who are in youth sports going overseas to play professional hockey. I think I think it's very gonna be based on like geographical location. Like if you're previously if you're born in Europe, played junior in Europe, came to Canada or the US to play um, university or college hockey, and maybe there might be an appeal to stay in North America to play pro, but I think there's always going to be that pullback from Europe to play in one of those leagues instead. Right now, I think, like it, I think it's a weird case for sure. You really don't see many. Well, it's very rare you see many successful U sports athletes transitioning to the pro leagues, like, let alone trying to make it even to the NHL, right? We really don't see many, well, not recently, but, like, maybe in the past there was a bit more, like, you see people going from youth sports, Canadian youth sports, into the NHL eventually. Like, it'll take some time. They might play in the ECHL, AHL, and eventually make it to the NHL. But I don't think currently how, like, hockey is structured at the junior and minor league level, I think it's hard to see – Someone who's at a youth sports level make it to jump into um, like pro sports really in like in North America.
0: So it's more of an anomaly than a regular occurrence?
1: I think so. I think so. It's it's definitely like, I like not to speak poorly to like Canadian youth sports, but like you already mentioned that like it's definitely like a tier below um NCAA, and I went further and say it might be even below juniors right like you see a lot of you know junior players playing in the c h l like even though they're over eighteen they might be nineteen or twenty they might still keep playing in the c h l and once they've reached twenty, maybe they couldn't get an offer to any of the NCAA leagues so then like because once you've passed eighteen you you've been undrafted and you're still not drafted, you're most likely to to make it to the NHL if that's still your goal is to go through the um, U- U.S. college system, go through there and then maybe become an undrafted free agent and then sign on to the NHL that way. But for those who can't make the jump to the uh, NCAA, most of the times they take their CHL scholarship and go into one of the Canadian youth sports. So if you're already missing the hurdle of not getting drafted, then you're missing the hurdle of making it into NCAA, and you're falling back to U um, sports. I think your chances of making it into the pro leagues, lessons and lessons. Like you'll, you might be able to make it to a smaller pro league, but you might not make it to your end goal of playing professionally, say at like an NHL level.
0: Yeah, Jeffrey just kind of just said it all. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Mm. I.
1: Great work, Jeff. I am. Uh, I'm proud of you're you. You're welcome. And but I still uh, not know the name of the player that you're talked about. Oh
0: my god. Um. But speaking of juniors, we've also learned that CHL has several three-class action lawsuits from players current and past regarding no wage pay. And it seems like for a corner of Rick West out of TSM that they will pay thirty million dollars to players. I think it's. $10,000 per player and the lead plaintiff gets 20,000 as honorarium. Um could this be the start of junior players getting paid more than, you know, than schooling, university and everything? And as a result, could you see many CHL teams folding? I know I know there's a lot of creative accounting going on with with junior hockey teams. And as a result, you see a lot of teams claim to lose money but are not actually losing money. Um, and i'm not gonna comment on that because i don't want to get our podcast sued <laughs> but uh what do you think like I, I think ten thousand dollars a player you start, like you can't just how do i put this if you start pay, paying the past players now you either gotta pay the current players now or else you're just gonna have hey five years down the road where's my money and just a cycle right um but like sorry let me just jump in here as well but it's also curious because it's like, so each team is going to probably pay about $250,000. And one of the interesting things that we did note was that the CHL said that they do have around $30 million of insurance against this type of lawsuit. I mean, I'm sure, you know, the elite went like, hey, look, there's some money we have. Why don't we just get it for the insurance company? Figure something out like this. But... I think this is going to lead to a lot of teams going bankrupt, right? Like, I know, for example, the Winterhawks are currently for sale. So how does this – like, put it this way. The Winterhawks have already filed for bankruptcy, so they're going to be sold. How does this affect minor hockey? Because, you know, for example, if you or I, you know, let's say we're playing minor hockey, junior hockey, and we're saying, okay, you know what? I see my abilities. Um, I'm not I'm not making an HL. And I you know I can play for the USHL or I can go play for the CHL. And if I'm getting paid a little bit of money playing the CHL, why not do that? And so the USHL is gonna either always have lower tier players, so not as good players, sorry, or you're gonna start paying your players too
1: how far back is this minimum wage going to go? Like, you know, the CHL has been around for a while. Are you saying, like, ever since the very beginning, are all CHL, former, past CHL players, are going to get back paid their minimum wage then?
0: I don't know. I'll be honest with you. I don't think, I think these are things that they have to, the lawyers have to figure out. How back, like, how far back you are going to go? Um, Because I'm definitely for sure, you know, if, you know, 50 years ago... Ten thousand dollars goes a lot further than ten thousand dollars today,
1: right? Well, they might look more at like what the minimum wage was back then, and then pay accordingly based off that. And with inflation, yeah, it's gonna, it's numbers are gonna definitely gonna be weird. But I think I might have a opposing take on this. I mean, idea? I don't, I don't know how. Uh, like well, I don't know how. I'm not too knowledgeable about say the junior system in Canada but I feel like with junior hockey are they really considered employees or are is the junior like I know like I feel like junior hockey players are given this opportunity right to play on these teams who go through all this coaching development to help them reach their goal and becoming part of like making their goal to play professional hockey for their careers right and to me i think that yes maybe minimum wage might be difficult but i wonder would like an allowance be a little bit more appropriate because i have to be honest like i worked a a summer job previously where i worked technically i worked below let's say like definitely worked below minimum wage but i was still being paid so, I don't know how that worked, but I don't know, is that an option for the uh, CHL? So,
0: basically, I believe they do currently get like a stipend. And it's like a couple hundred bucks a week. Um, and I think it's more so they can help their bill of families, you know, pay for part of the costs that the bill of families have for having another month of feed, right? Like, you know, kids, teenagers are not cheap in terms of food-wise, right? Like, you and I both know when we were, like, 15, 16, at least for me, I could probably crush up extra-large pizza in one sitting if I really wanted to. And, yeah. yeah, like, maybe, I don't know if it's 500 but it's a couple hundred dollars a week, if I remember. Um, and in terms of whether they're contractors or... Or employees, this is where it gets really complicated. So that's kind of where the argument really comes in, right? If the players will obviously prefer that they be employees in the sense that you kind of get benefits and uh, it's much like the legalese benefits the players much more. Um, however, I know in Ontario, uh, the OHL is these examples of OHL um, and I believe is also consistent with QMDHL and WHL. They're classified as amateur athletes, and uh, as a result, they don't get the legal protection that employees do, for example. Um, so in that sense, that's where it kind of gets awkward, right? Because when you're an employee, for example, players, when they want to be employees, they get wages, owed to overtime pay, which is a really big one, right? Yeah. So uh, I'll use Ontario as an example here, just after an X amount of hours, you get paid pay as an employee, right? As overtime pay, and I, you know, if you talk to many any junior hockey player, they'll tell you the lifestyle is basically you're working a lot, right? You're waking up, practice, go to school, practice, you know, then you might have game day, and then you know you might be doing some other hockey and do video after practice, right? So like you're working for a lot part of your day. It's not like you know, you wake up, go, you know, have a practice, and then just go to class, and that's a free day, right? You know, these guys still have to do their homework, so they're still students, right? And um, that's where it comes in, right? Overtime pay or like vacation pay. And as a result of that, of being an amateur athlete, they don't get that, right? It's there. Um, so you don't get that. And I believe what they do get, the big, you know, selling book, quote unquote is basically they get, you know, post-secondary scholarships, which, for example, our friend talk, we talked about just now. Um, totally forgot his name. But the player that we talked about, we were use sports before. He, for example, took advantage of that. So every year that they play in the CHL, I believe they can get one year of tuition, books, and whatever expenses they have, uh, paid for it by the CHL. Um, oh, okay, I found it. So CHL, yeah, they get some little bit of money for out-of-pocket expenses. So I assume, like, you know, if you want to go to, I don't know, go to McDonald's with your teammates after games. You know, you can get some money to do that from the team. Um, some building costs, you have some travel costs, some equipment costs. So, some of that, but it's not enough to be saying, hey, I'm making a living playing junior hockey. It's not a living, it's more of a lifestyle Is that right? we're teasing, Jeffrey.
1: Well, that's the thing, right? Like, I agree with you right there when you said, when you're playing junior hockey you're not that's not making a living right That's just more you know helping you develop into your career and maybe that's why I would tend to agree that junior hockey players maybe should not be making them a minimum wage they should be making some type of money but not like a weight wa- like a living wage i think
0: I guess the argument is they're missing out on opportunities they could have had in the sense of like you know could have worked at their local importance you know. Or minimum wage. These these guys are basically working, right? When you like when you and I work out at the gym, it's not really working, but these guys are working. And they're really putting their like I'm not taking either side, um, but I just want to like make sure you get both sides of you. It's but like these guys are putting their bodies on the line. Right? Like hockey is a physically demanding sport. right? It's not, you know, power walking or whatever. I don't know if power walking is a sport, but like yeah by the boy, it's much more much more physical than than you and I in our daily lives. You know, no one's running up to us and slamming into us with like 30 pounds of equipment on us, right? So the point is, there's like, hey, we kind of put our, put our body on line and we kind of missed out on, you know, the minimum wage jobs that we had as a teenager for some extra pocket change. So shouldn't I be able to get that?
1: Well, I mean, the thing is, like, The thing is, like, not everyone can find a minimum wage job anyway as a student, right? So I wouldn't say, like, I guess it does prevent them from the opportunity to go make a living, like finding a a student job and making a minimum wage somewhere. But I think at that point where you're participating in junior hockey, you're looking to make a career out of hockey, right? I don't think people who decide to go into the CHL are looking at oh i'm going to do this for you know four or five years and then i'm going to go off to another career no i think most of them want to try to make the jump into pro league so i don't think i i think like they want some way to like you know support their way of living as like minor like amateur hockey players but i don't think a living wage makes the most sense i think like some mandatory Quote unquote, like allowance or allowance for them, right? Like, I guess because I kind of worked the job that was similar to that, where we were being paid below minimum wage, but we had boarding, we had, they paid for our food, um, we received training, and it was literally working 24 7 hours, 24 um, 7 for the entire summer. And yes, we were paid below minimum wage, but I think we were working towards a goal. We had boarding and we didn't have to pay for boarding and stuff. Uh, we were supplied with equipment, a little bit of equipment as well. Like, I think that, yes, junior hockey players should receive money to support their living, but I just think a living, like a minimum wage, might be inappropriate for sustaining junior hockey in Canada right now, especially with the pandemic as well.
0: Well, I think for sure you might see a couple players, not a couple, just a couple teams, you know, full because of this. Um, but at the same time, I'm of the mindset that, you know, if it can't survive, just shut down. <laughs> Any business that can't make money or provide a, comm- a service to the community, it should, I don't know if, how viable it is, Um, But we're not here to talk about that, right? But speaking of business, let's talk about our sponsors, shall we? And we are back. So we actually had a little bit of like a two-second segment in between, and Jeffrey decided to cut off because he's editing the show. because. As he quotes, it was not professional. And Jeffrey, what is professional though?
1: Well, can we get back to the what's it called? Let's go back to, to where we were talking before. The our, um, t- I was talking about anchor there, right? Like, uh, I guess to me, like I think with the CHL, like it is a business, but I think you, you'd hope that their overall goal is to promote junior hockey and help young Canadians and Americans or just young hockey players make it to the NHL or discover their dreams, right? So it would be a shame if this minimum wage thing causes Canadian junior hockey leagues to, you know, lose like a bunch of teams and screw up the system, right? Like I think that would be a major, uh, have a major impact and I don't know what would happen if that were to, you know, go down, but I think it's, it it would be like, I I do believe junior hockey players need to be paid, but I just think minimum wage might be inappropriate at this point.
0: So, speaking of, you know,
1: pay and playing
0: conditions in the CHL, I've actually wanted to talk about this topic for a couple weeks, but, you know, Jeffrey and I have been a little bit busy, hence the shorter episodes. There's a really interesting article. From the Victory Press, talking about the NWHL.
1: Yeah, I think you sent me this article last week, but I didn't get the chance to read it. And yeah, it, it was released a week ago. Week and a half, a
0: week of two. Ago. Yeah, not not too long. But so it's something that I've actually really wanted to talk about in a while. It's actually very very unique. You know, from my opinion, has been that the only way that women's hockey can thrive in North, North America is if either the NCAA really steps up and provides a big platform in the sense of men's football or men's basketball in NCAA to really provide that platform and exposure to the game, or the NHL steps up and provide significant support, whether it's funding, or equipment, or facilities. You would need some sort of support like that before professional hockey in North America can thrive. And there's a really interesting article about how the NWHL is kind of having some, I'd say, growing pains. Um, where, as a result, you're gonna have a lot of these interesting scenarios come up. So, for example, it's kind of unusual
1: that players have to pay for their own time,
0: especially when they're not making
1: that much money. Like, Can if I was tell then, the people to list, tell them what the article is first, so they know what we're talking about.
0: All right, Jeffrey, you got this.
1: I believe in you. No, so. So maybe if you guys want to hit pause so you guys can read the article first before we talk about it so that you guys can have some background. But the article is on the Victory Press. Um, it's going to be on uh, there's, the link going to be in the comments of when we tweet the episode. But it's called Behind the Game, Former Players Detail Life in the NWHL. And it was released on May 10th, 2020. And it's on the Victory Press, and Austin will now continue on his rant. But hit pause if you like to read the article first before uh, you listen to us talk about it.
0: So, welcome back from the pause. It's nice to have you back, listener. So, um, there's a lot of detailed situations where the nawhl I, I would call them growing pains. Um, whether or not I find the growing pains acceptable, I, I can't answer that question. Um, but I would say there's a few scenarios where I was like, oh, that doesn't seem right. You know, these players aren't getting paid cuts. You know, I think they're paid, what, $2,500 a a year, I think, for the minimum wage of an NWHL player. And you're paying $10 to park at a game you're playing at? Like, come on. Like, it's, for example, you know, it's, it, it kind of had the very big vibe of pay to play. Because if you can't get to the arena, like if you, can't pay, if you don't pay for parking, you can't play. But the whole point of the NWHL was, hey, first professional league where we're paying our players. Well, that kind of doesn't work because you kind of have to pay to play as well. That kind of defeats the purpose of getting paid, right? So, you know, a lot of these players, you know, if you're making $2,500, you know, $5,000, $10,000 a year, you got to work a second job, right? Like, it's very, very unrealistic, especially look at the cities that they're in, right? You know, maybe you can do it in Buffalo on 10000 It's very unlikely. Like, you would need some support from friends and family, for example. But, you know, if you're in a Toronto or you're in New York, you're not living off $10,000. Uh- <laughs> well,
1: I think what they said at best was it's a little bit better than beer league. It's almost like glorified beer league, but it's not a professional league. Like what they said was being professional.
0: Sorry. Yeah. So the amount isn't actually the big problem for me. I understand that you got to be prudent um, with how you spend your money. Like if you offered all your players, Hey, a million dollars a game a year, sorry, but you don't have the financial backing. to do that. That's unsustainable. I understand that. So that's not a problem with how much you pay your players. I think it's, it's nice I think eventually, if the game gets bigger, you pay your, your players more. Um, that's kind of where a revenue sharing model, thing would be both would be best. But my argument would be like, for example, as you, you have your job, and then one of the players said they had a job, a uh, regular job, you know, nine to five or whatever job they had, and as a result, they couldn't make the bus to the next game. So they had to buy their own plane ticket. And hey, as a league, you gotta understand, your players treat this as a second job. You're, you're not the main priority. If you want them to be a main priority, pay them like the main priority, right? So you if your players can't make it, you can't ask them to pay out of pocket to pay all these things like as, as it's just not realistic right it's you know you can't ask your players to take the hotel to rely on the hotel shuttle to go to the games like like what are you like, what are you expecting here like this is kind of how you end up as a joke you know i think at this point other players would be like you know what like cut my salary a little bit more and i would prefer to be able to get equipment free able to you know get transportation to the game and if i can't make it have alternate plans to get there i don't know for me it's just it just doesn't seem right right like for example you know teams are paid per diem 20 dollars for meals a day okay that's fine but at the same time Think about $20 a day, what kind of food you're getting. These guys, unless you're asking players to pay out of pocket. If you don't want to pay out of pocket, it's one of the pure game, right? You don't have to pay out of pocket. Your players are not getting the healthy food they need, the healthy fresh food they need to really play their best. And when you don't play your best, you know, you don't attract as many fans. It's not as high-level hockey as it could be. Right? It's these little things where these are growing pains where it's like, oh. I would like to see them do so much better, right? Like, for example, Jeffrey, if you are a marathon runner, right, and you're eating, I don't know, burgers and hot dogs every day for all your meals, chances are, if you're crushing a nice double Big Mac before your, game, before your run, you can be a little, little lethargic when you run, right? You're not gonna be at full capacity, and when this happens league-wide, that's when people are like, oh, I'm not I don't really want to watch this game. Like, It's really not that high-level hockey. It's kind of like beer league. Not It's closer to beer league than it is to the NHL. Hell, I'd rather
1: just watch the AHL. <laughs> you know what I mean, Jeffrey? Well, would you... I don't know if that might be a great argument, but, I mean, I think it's more just... Not talking about the on product, but it's just like the conditions, right? Like, fair. You won't see that if you're considered like a professional... Like I would say, we, me and you both, we work. Quote: Would we consider that we work professional jobs? I, I'd say, I'd say we do. And if we work professional jobs, we expect we expect our company to be professional, and to you know make sure at least the basic living conditions are given to the employees, right? Yeah. So, I think probably the primary concern is like I I know there's people in the world who survive on less than $20 a day, but if you're asking your employers, I mean your employees to take that $20, and basically it's like within the article many of the uh, sources mentioned that that $20 might also include the travel to get to a place to eat, and then that might actually spend the entire twenty dollars up, and then they are have to spend out of pocket to pay for the food that they actually need, so that they can, you know, perform at a elite level. So I think just in general, these stories of the growing pains within the NWHL just kind of illuminate some of the problems that within women's hockey it's still unfortunately not viable to make a living off of women's hockey, right? Like there's a reason why a lot of these hockey players have to go for a second job. They have to, you know, work like hockey is almost a hobby for them. They're not looking there to make money. They're looking for the love of the game. They want to play hockey. They want to play competitive hockey. And that's why they choose to play in these women's hockey league. And unfortunately they have to make a lot of sacrifices and i think a lot of people in women's hockey right now are trying to fight so that they don't have to make the sacrifices they're making right now that they can play hockey like how men's play right like one of the things i i've recognized too is just reading up on women's hockey um a lot of the younger w- hockey players right they finished their college careers how many hockey players male hockey players in the NHL, who went through the college system, went through all four years? I would probably say less than a dozen, maybe, because they know that they can make a living off of hockey, and they might not need a full four-year college education, or three- or four-year college education to sustain their life after hockey, right? But for a lot of these uh, women hockey players, they realize that you know, maybe at once they're done their athletic prime and they're no longer able to play competitively um, at an elite level, they still have to figure out how they're going to live the rest of their life because they know that right now, women's hockey is not viable for to make a living off of. So they need to have a second career. And that's why they have this very hard time of just trying to balance, you know, living life and living hockey.
0: Here's the thing, though. I don't think you can provide players with a, a big pay right now. Like the money just isn't there, right? Like players, like if you look at, for example, an NWHL game, you know, their attendance is not, nowhere near the size of the NHL, right? So you, there's no way, the revenues aren't there. The TV money isn't there. So how, how are you gonna be able to pay afford to do that?
1: and i think that's like going to be like the universal problem like unless there is i would say like a major investment into women's hockey i think there it's going to you're going to see these growing pains and like i like to think like when the nhl started right a lot of the hockey players you know they had summer jobs they had other jobs once the season was over they were were you know working regular jobs and it it's you can't really say like there's There's a resemblance with right now how the NWHL is going right now, and you know, fair to say, a lot of these problems have been resolved now. But I I think it just all comes down to money, right? Hockey is is an expensive sport, and Mm -hmm. unless like you're willing to make a huge investment in looking at the future of women's hockey and not looking at just at the present, then maybe if there's enough financial backing that provides the the starting point for like revolutionizing women's hockey, and that's where you mentioned how can the NHL, can the NCAA step in and make that financial and logistic um, foundation for women's hockey to step on and make the jump into becoming, you know, something more renowned, like how other leagues, other leagues, and other sports are doing.
0: But like, can you see any? organization or person helping besides the NHL like I I genuinely can't like I don't think it's a one-person job you know you you could be a billionaire but do you really want to be sinking your money into the women's hockey unless you know you, you have either a vested interest in it or like a financial interest in it or you're you know I don't know why like I don't see it like a financial I don't see why it's going to be willing to spend the money, significant amount of money
1: in it. Yeah. And that's the thing. Like you have to, I think it's looking at it from a future perspective and not looking at what it's making right now, but what it can make in the future. Right. Like if, if you're looking at it from a financial thing, right. But you, I think the NHL is probably the one that makes the most sense. I mean, there are, you know, even back when there was this, the CWHL, right. Like, NHL teams were partnering, like, very vaguely, though, because I think the NHL was trying to keep itself away from the dispute between the CWHL and the NWHL, so they were partnering with these NWHL teams and providing support for them. So, I think the NHL is in the best position to help out the NWHL, but, like, and I think we're starting to see a little bit of more support, right? Like we're when you're looking through the article, like a lot of the things they talk about, um, like a lot of the things have been so, like kind of resolved a little bit, um, mm-hmm. and it might be more related to just the growing pains. It might not. The league might not have, you know, maybe it's hard to say that they were a pro league at the beginning, but maybe now you can consider them more of a pro league and. I think, like, one example of how, you know, having a foundation, like, support can help is if you look at the Boston Pride this season, right? They were taken over by, like, an independent group, and I think they are what, 23-1 and this season? Yeah. Like, they had the supports, they had facilities. Um, The Isabel Cup was cancelled, unfortunately, but they were in the finals for that. Like, I think you can see how important it is to have a f- organiza- organizational foundation to build upon. And do you think that the owners or the, like the the ownership group for the Boston Pride are making money? Not necessarily. I don't think they are. But I think you're looking at the long-term standpoint of how big women's hockey can be if you support them now, right? I don't think. Because I think if there's not, it, like this, right now between the, is it the PWHPA? Or, is that what it's called?
0: PWHPA? Pro Women's
1: Hockey. Yeah. Players Pro Women. Yeah. Like, I don't think that that can last any longer, having a hockey, or, like having those two being separate, right? I think the longer we have that go, Women's Hockey is going to, It's going to be women's hockey in general that's going to feel the effect more than each league itself, right? Like, there needs to be eventually some common ground that we need to find together. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've seen right now with the Boston Pride, you can see the effects of how having a strong market, a strong ownership group can do for a team. And when you look on the flip side... I mean, I don't I don't think I've really watched any NWHL. This is just maybe what I've seen in my very basic research. But you look at Connecticut, where they finish... I know it's a small league, but they finish bottom of the league every season. And Connecticut might not be the biggest hockey town. So maybe there's not as much support, and they're not doing so well in that league. So I, I wonder... I think the big point we take from this is how we really need women's Hockey. I don't want to say it has to be saved by the NHL, but I think the NHL can help out the NWHL in becoming its own league eventually. But it needs support now to eventually grow into that professional league that it wants to be in the future.
0: I think the model is like the NBA, WNBA model, right? Where you kind of just have the NBA is backing, you know, whether it's financial in terms of guaranteeing loans or providing some facilities, right? Like, I'm, for example, let's look at Maple Leafs and their training facility. Yes, you have the Leafs and you have the Marlies using it, but can you not have, you know? Toronto Inferno also use it as well? Is that the new, no, CWHL, the new NWHL the Toronto team hasn't been needed. Could you not have a shared facility there as well? Like, um, why not? I you mean, that's a little we'll support I think they'll need where it's, you kind of look at the NBA-WNBA relationship where you really need that backing there, especially in the beginning where I, I can't see for business reasons too many people lining up to just give them money, especially if you look at their past where it was kind of Shady where they're getting their money from, and having some payment issues of suppliers. It's kind of just, I don't know. It just doesn't something just doesn't seem like right in my opinion. You know what I mean?
1: Yeah, and I think that's I think that's the way how the NHL can support. It's not maybe necessarily. It is financial in some point, but I think it's the logistical standpoint how the NHL can support teams. Right? Like I think it helps a little bit that you know the NBA season and the WNBA season doesn't run concurrently so there's not really that battle for facilities necessarily but i mean with ice you know it's better to play during the cooler months so we don't so the ice quality's good but i think it's that logistical standpoint right like having the training facilities for players both men and women to um play at appropriate training facilities you know make it actually into professionally, make it make the athletes who are playing in the NWHL feel like, you know what, I could maybe one day like make a living from this. Like encourage uh, you know, women's hockey players to, you know, maybe this is something that I can pursue even further even after I retire. Help grow the game even more. But I think right now that's it's just it's just a shock when you read the article, like the things that they had to go through. I mean I can't imagine having to pee in a bucket off the side of an arena because you can't access the washrooms, or having to play a game and not be able to shower because you're not there's no there's no showers.
0: So, why don't you tell listeners about this peeing in the bucket situation, just in case you know a couple of them are like I, I don't want to read it. I just want to hear what the guys have to talk about.
1: Well, they were mentioning how at one of their training facilities there was a where they're having their practice and sometimes they don't they don't even get the full rank but there was um they said it was like a men's junior varsity team that was also in the arena so they weren't able to access the bathrooms or the, any of the like the other facilities they basically had to go off to the side and pee in a bucket because where else were they going to pee they couldn't just pee on the equipment they couldn't just pee on the ice so they had to you know go off to the side and pee in a bucket and. I think that's very, that's something like, it's, I don't think you can call yourself a professional league if that's what your players have to do.
0: I think that's, yeah, like if
1: even a beer league, you know, you can run and go to the bathroom,
0: right?
1: Yeah, and I I wonder if the reason why is because, unfortunately, men's hockey takes priority over women's hockey right now. In this, like, from a societal sense, right? Like, how could they not, you know, could they not? I don't know what the facility was, but could they maybe not have shared facilities? Like, could they at least, you know, I would feel like in a, a training facility, there's a men's washroom, females' washroom, and a gender neutral washroom. Could they not at least have an area for like a woman's washroom or like a woman's change room? Like, we don't know what the training facility was, but you would think that there should be training facilities available for Wounds Hockey for the NWHL where they could have had access, even if they had to share arena space, that they could still have the basic necessities of, you know, being able to change and, you know, do personal hygiene care in their own private area.
0: Yeah. Yeah, so I guess for me, that's just trying to, I think for me, what the big thing for this one is it really helped me understand the point of view of the PWHPA. Why they're fighting their battle. You know, the motivation to understand why they're doing it. And it's not just, you know, like, for whatever reason you might be think before. I think this is really important to me to understand why they're doing it and to really get that second point of view. And I think that's what the NWHL also realized, what the point of this article was. You know, they really wanted to get their point of view out there and trying to change the public perception. And don't get me wrong, I, I think they did they did change my perception a little bit here. And I don't know how I feel about this. You know, and this is something to see, but I think at the end of the day, yeah, you, you definitely have to get some help, whether it, it is from the NHL, whether it's from something else. I d I don't know. But Until you figure out that situation, I really don't think there is the future isn't as bright as it once was.
1: No, and it's it's unfortunate, like it's this back and forth from the PWPHA and the NWHL. I mean I wish there was just a nice happy world where they can get together, get along together, form a professional league together and develop women's hockey. Or not just North America but around the world as well and I think right now um like you know in the response to the article as well the n w h l did state that they think this is just you know a campaign from the p w h p it's almost it's almost starting to become almost like a political battle right it's like he said she said you know they all have their own values but i think at the very core of it they both want women's hockey to succeed it's just which side's going to bend first and whether they just I, it also feels like the nhl right now is kind of like that supposedly they're the the moderator supposedly but they're they're being like a they're like they don't want to be the moderator they just want to step back and just wait to see what happens and i think that's the wrong decision from the NHL right now. Like, they need to be more active in this because I think we're going to get to the stage in a couple of years where there's no chance for women's hockey league, hockey to ever become a pro league. And women's hockey players who want to play pro are going to head over to Europe and play over there because they still want to be able to play hockey competitively because that's what they love. So,
0: I don't know. Here's just a random thought while I was thinking of it. I wonder if there's any benefit for the NHLPA to really step in and help out the players. I know they've got a lot of their play right now, but I'm
1: wondering if there's any any like you know benefit to that um, well, I mean, so like the NHLPA supports the PWHPA so they've kind of picked a side a little bit. But I mean I like just,
0: fully combine the two.
1: I know, like like I think it would take the thing is I think it's really hard for players to pick a side because I think with like group culture and everything, right? Like it's gonna be hard for if if you support only one side then the other side's gonna feel alienated and then the other side will then feel like they have the strong points on that they should get everything they want. I think you need, like, I don't think it's, I, don't, I hate to say it, but like, I don't think it should be men saving women here, right? Like, I think it needs to be. Oh, yeah, I don't think it's a saving
0: safer. thing, but I think it's more going with now you have the resources. I don't, yeah, it. was. this isn't about men or gender or anything like that. It's more the resources being like, hey, now you have the backing of the NHLPA.
1: Yeah, and I think that's where you want to see more of, you know, like hockey like hockey coming together. It doesn't matter what your gender or sex is. It's an organization supporting another organization because you guys have a common goal of promoting hockey. And I think that it's going to be – there needs to be something to be done. I don't think me or you know what's – The right thing to do. But I think this article does illuminate a lot of problems, a lot of growing pains that have, most have since been resolved. We don't know what's actually happening because we have not met any players who've played in the NWHL. And we don't actually have heard from an actual source because they're protective of anonymity right now. So we don't actually know whether these things are still going on. And Maybe these are just growing pains from a league, but I think it does show that there's a lot of um, obstacles for women's hockey that need to be overcome before we can see a full women's professional league in North America.
0: And with that being said, Jeffrey, I think we are running out of time here. So do you have any last uh, words?
1: Um, I feel kind of bad. Because I forgot which... I don't know the holidays. And I think... Maybe that's how people figure out if we were Canadian or not. When I said Memorial Day was this weekend too. I forgot. It's, it's the weekend after. So, uh, next week I will make sure that uh, I get my holidays right. And for those in Canada, Happy Victoria Day. I don't know what else to say. Love y'all. And uh, wash your damn hands. Well... You can do other things besides washing your damn hands. You know, cough in your sleeve. Don't cough in your hands. Um, I don't know what else is there. Wear if you have if you can wear a mask in public. If you're going to public spaces where you can't socially distance, right? Like if you are able to socially distance, you really don't need a mask. And if you are you know if you have a lot of masks that you actually don't need make sure you give them to someone that actually needs it help the community because i think there's a good chance we're going to become immune to the virus before vaccine is going to get started so why not let's get a head start protect the community and you know hopefully we can beat this pandemic
0: wash your damn hands i love y'all Thanks for listening to the Bag Fucks Podcast, part of the National Podcast Network. You want to complain about us? You can tweet us at B O P underscore P O D on Twitter. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you soon.